Listen to God's Word for December 12th. Today's reading is Acts 25 through 27. May God bless this reading of His Word. Acts 25 Three days after his arrival in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders presented their case against Paul. They urged Festus to grant them a concession against Paul by summoning him to Jerusalem, because they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. But Festus replied, Paul is being held in Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. So if this man has done anything wrong, let some of your leaders come down with me and accuse him there. After spending no more than eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day, he sat on the judgment seat and ordered that Paul be brought in. When Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges that they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I have committed no offense against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem to stand trial before me on these charges? Paul replied, I am standing before the judgment seat of Caesar, where I ought to be tried. I have done nothing wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if there is no truth to their accusations against me, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus conferred with his counsel and replied, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. After several days had passed, King Agrippa and Bernice came down to Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were staying several days, Festus laid out Paul's case before the king. There is a certain man whom Felix left in prison. While I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews presented their case and requested a judgment against him. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand a man over before he has had an opportunity to face his accusers and defend himself against their charges. So when they came here with me, I did not delay. The next day, I sat on the judgment seat and ordered that the man be brought in. But when his accusers rose to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. They only had some contentions with him regarding their own religion and a certain Jesus who had died, but whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Since I was at a loss as to how to investigate these matters, I asked if he was willing to go to Jerusalem and be tried there on these charges. But when Paul appealed to be held over for the decision of the emperor, I ordered that he be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. Tomorrow you will hear him, Festus declared. The next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp 
and entered the auditorium, along with the commanders and leading men of the city. And Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him, both here and in Jerusalem, crying out that he ought not to live any longer. But I found he had done nothing worthy of death, and since he has now appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. I have nothing definite to write to our sovereign one about him. Therefore I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after this inquiry I may have something to write. For it seems unreasonable to me to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Acts 26 Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today to defend myself against all the accusations of the Jews, especially since you are acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. I beg you, therefore, to listen to me patiently. Surely all the Jews know how I have lived from the earliest days of my youth among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I lived as a Pharisee, adhering to the strictest sect of our religion. And now I stand on trial because of my hope in the promise that God made to our fathers, the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to realize as they earnestly serve God day and night. It is because of this hope, O king, that I am accused by the Jews. Why would any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? So then, I too was convinced that I ought to do all I could to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is what I did in Jerusalem. With authority from the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were condemned to death, I cast my vote against them. I frequently had them punished in the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. In my raging fury against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. In this pursuit, I was on my way to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen from me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes, 
so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. First, to those in Damascus and Jerusalem, then to everyone in the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I declared that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds worthy of their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this day, and I stand here to testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. At this stage of Paul's defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You are insane, Paul. Your great learning is driving you to madness. But Paul answered, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. I am speaking words of truth and sobriety. For the king knows about these matters, and I can speak freely to him. I am confident that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Can you persuade me in such a short time to become a Christian? Short time or long, Paul replied, I wish to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day, may become what I am, except for these chains. Then the king and the governor rose, along with Bernice and those seated with them. On their way out, they said to one another, This man has done nothing worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. Acts 27 When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded an Adramitian ship about to sail for ports along the coast of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration, allowing him to visit his friends and receive their care. After putting out from there, we sailed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. After sailing slowly for many days, we arrived off Nidus. When the wind impeded us, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmone. After we had moved along the coast with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. By now, much time had passed, and the voyage had already become dangerous 
because it was after the fast. So Paul advised them, Men, I can see that our voyage will be filled with disaster and great loss, not only to ship and cargo, but to our own lives as well. But contrary to Paul's advice, the centurion was persuaded by the pilot and by the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to sail on, if somehow they could reach Phoenix to winter there. Phoenix was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along, hugging the coast of Crete. But it was not long before a cyclone called the Northeaster swept down across the island. Unable to head into the wind, the ship was caught up, so we gave way and let ourselves be driven along. Passing to the lee of a small island called Kada, we barely managed to secure the lifeboat. After hoisting it up, the crew used ropes to undergird the ship, and fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and were driven along. We were tossed so violently that the next day the men began to jettison the cargo. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the great storm continued to batter us, we abandoned all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have averted this disaster and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because you will not experience any loss of life, but only of the ship. For just last night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And look, God has granted you the lives of all who sail with you. So take courage, men, for I believe God that it will happen just as he told me. However, we must run aground on some island. On the fourteenth night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was twenty fathoms deep. Going a little farther, they took another set of soundings that read fifteen fathoms. Fearing that we would run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daybreak. Meanwhile, the sailors attempted to escape from the ship. Pretending to lower anchors from the bow, they let the lifeboat down into the sea. But Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men remain with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and set it adrift. Right up to daybreak, Paul kept urging them all to eat. Today is your fourteenth day in constant suspense without taking any food. So for your own preservation, I urge you to eat something 
because not a single hair of your head will be lost. After he had said this, Paul took bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and took some food themselves. In all, there were 276 of us on board. After the men had eaten their fill, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they sighted a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting away the anchors, they left them in the sea as they loosened the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the vessel struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was being broken up by the pounding of the waves. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners, so none of them could swim to freedom. But the centurion, wanting to spare Paul's life, thwarted their plan. He commanded those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to follow on planks and various parts of the ship. In this way, everyone was brought safely to land. Thanks for listening, and join us tomorrow as we listen to God's Word. Questions or comments? Email us at info at listentogodsword.org.